carbohydrates are wonderful. <laughs> They're our bodies our our body can really easily get obtain energy from them, which is awesome. But I always say carbohydrates are going to leave us feeling our best for the most part when we pair them with other micronutrients. If we have carbohydrates alone, like let's just say we like sit here and eat a slice or two of bread, we're going to get energy quickly to our bloodstream, but that energy is just as quickly going to fall. So I always like to say rather than demonizing carbs because they're great and they have an important role, let's just think of ways that we can pair them with other foods and other micronutrients so we can take that energy um, and we can sustain it so that we're hungry less often, snacking less often, feeling more satisfied and feeling more able to stick to whatever diet plan we're on. Yeah, no, it's just one of those things where um, like you're always constantly trying to figure out what fits in your brand and what doesn't fit in your brand. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part is yep. determining like you want to do it, especially if they're offering you, you know, compensation. I mean, yeah. like ultimately content creators make money by creating content. Mm. And I think a lot of people forget that sometimes. Yep. Like, is, know, it, is it easy as a content creator? I mean, it's never easy, but do you find it a little bit more limiting in the space that you're in because of like the the field in terms of what partnerships i want to take on yeah i do find it limiting and it's almost like i i know too much sometimes Mm -hmm. like we get lots of emails from like supplement companies and it's hard because a lot of the times i can see how the claims don't match the research and you know it it wouldn't be ethical for me to <laughs> be to paid promote to promote it. it, even if we tone down the messaging a little bit. If I yeah. know it really doesn't do what it say what it says it's going to do, so yeah. So these supplement companies, and you don't have to name names, <laughs> but you're telling me that they come in, they offer you some like a deal to promote them, and it doesn't sound like what they're promoting actually is real. Yeah, I find with the supplement companies a lot of the time it's like okay, there's not a lot of harm necessarily with this supplement. There might be some modest benefits. For some people, just the act of you know taking a supplement can be beneficial to them in their health journey. But um, the claims are just wild and the claims really aren't backed by anything. And yeah, that's where I have my major pause, obviously. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, on that pause, um, Miranda Galati, welcome to the Gents Talk podcast. Welcome, Thank welcome. you so much How for are having you? me. I'm great. Yeah. Yeah. You did the whole trek from Barrie down I to did. Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got plans in the city while you're here? Yes. Yeah, I do. We're going to gonna go out with some friends later for wings and we'll make a day of it. It's nice. good. Yeah. yeah. Which wing spot? I don't know. I've never been for wings, which sounds insane. Hold on, I like know. ever? <laughs> like you've never been to a, a wing specific restaurant? Uh, I don't know if I've ever... I, I, no, I don't think so. But I've never ordered wings myself, and I've never like gone out for it. It's so weird. But <laughs> it's just this was a thing. Like I wanted to go for wings, and so we're gonna do it. <laughs> nice. Okay. So you're a registered dietitian. Yes. That's okay. Right. And you own your own content creation company, mm-hmm. and it's centered around nutrition and mm-hmm. health and and habit forming. Because mm-hmm. um, people's relationship with food can either be very, very harmful mm-hmm. or very, very positive. Mm-hmm. And it can impact so many other things in their lives, mm-hmm. right? Oftentimes when people are dealing with mental health issues, they tend to eat poorly. If mm-hmm. they're going through a bad breakup, you know, what's it's like every Hollywood movie is grab a bucket of ice cream, sit there and eat your face away. Mm-hmm. First, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and then let's just jump right into to sort of your area of expertise and... Sure. You know, teach us like we're five years old. Okay. Talk to us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So a little bit about me. So I'm a second career dietitian. So I started my career in marketing. Um, And while I was going through that, I was kind of struggling with my relationship with food, um, struggling with my digestion. And I ended up actually seeing a dietitian to help me with this stuff. And it was really transformative. And so it inspired me to go back to school and to study it myself and to learn this so I can help other people in the same way that that I was helped. And so that's kind of where I got the start. Um, And in the process of going back to school, I was feeling 
you know, going back to school as an adult, you feel kind of left out of <laughs> like <laughs> professional pursuits, like going back to be a student. So I was like getting the itch to do something on my own. And so I started an Instagram page and it's evolved since I started it. But basically my mission from day one has been how can I help people improve their relationship with food so that they can improve their health? And so I guess that that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's sort of just hammer it out right from the beginning here. What's the biggest misnomer or myth around food? I think the biggest thing that I see that can really hold people back is that um, people think it's more complicated than it needs to be. And, you know, people think there's some magic pill, magic powder, magic solution. And I think for so many of us that probably takes us further away from our health goals. Um, so if I could, you know, drill anything into everybody, it's let's find ways to simplify it and let's find ways to make healthy eating actually e easy and, and doable so that you can not only make changes but sustain them in the long term. Because I think that's where a lot of us get caught up is we can change things, but we can't necessarily sustain that change. And how do you, how do you create the habits for that? I think it depends on the person and where you're starting from. You know, a lot of the people who find their their way into my community, they're struggling with feeling like out of control with food, feeling inconsistent with food. And I think a lot of the time our first step is going to be getting getting you to a place where you can feel more stable and, and in control. And then from there, it's really about the approach I like to take is kind of small goal setting. So starting where you are thinking of the next step that you can take rather than the next like hundred steps that you can take. Um, and then you just kind of work one goal at a time until things start to feel effortless and you feel like you can start adding on other behaviors and goals. Hmm. It, it's a slow and unsexy process. <laughs> I think like when we actually want to create lasting change, it's boring <laughs> sometimes for lack of a better word <laughs> so how do you so, okay so then how do you keep up the consistency because it's so unsexy i think people see on instagram and on social media like they see the ripped bodies they see the you know oh this is what a day in my life is like and they see the meal prep then they see them at the gym and it's like well i'm trying to meal prep i go to the gym and why is this such a struggle for me mm -hmm. Any advice that you can maybe share for people who are either like who may be starting that journey or mm -hmm. who are about to quit that journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, those aspirational people, I think, I mean, not all of them. I think lots of them, that's great that they're aspirational and that's something we can work towards. But I think sometimes we underestimate the power and the impact of like starting small and how much that can impact our like self confidence um, and help us then continue on with the journey, right? So just as an example, if you start strong right out the gate and you want to change everything all at once, you're going to start meal prepping, you start going to the gym five days a week, you're completely overhauling your habits. It's very likely for most of us that it's going to be couple weeks, a couple days of that lasting. And when it doesn't last because you're human and that's a lot to change at once, I think we feel really defeated. And so not only does it make us kind of go from all or nothing, but it makes it harder to start again, in mm. my opinion. What about in terms of, let's talk about relationship with food mm. and like it's, we have a lot on online, you see like, don't eat this, don't eat that, but it really should be eat less or eat like in moderation. Mm -hmm. But then we get to the point where some people are, it's hard for the moderation. It's like if I have one chip, mm -hmm. I have to have the whole bag of chips. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, then you get into the like, oh, no, I have chips tomorrow. So how do you deal with people that need to, I guess, work on the, that, that have the mindset of, there's no moderation. It's either I'm in or all, I'm all in or all out. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you bring up something really important here, which sometimes it is a little bit of a mindset thing, right? Sometimes it is more than the foods themselves. It's that we're stuck in this pattern of all in or all out and all or nothing. And I think sometimes one of the first steps we have to take is acknowledge that it does not have to be all in or all out mm -hmm. and start to... Let me backtrack for a second and say, I think everyone is different. And I definitely think there are going to be people who are more sensitive to those types of like hyper palatable snack foods and maybe 
can't incorporate them as often, or maybe it takes a little bit longer for them to do that. Um, But for a lot of the people that I speak to or work with, part of what we're going to be doing is bringing those foods in a little bit more intentionally and regularly so that they become a little bit less of a novelty so that it's not it's no longer this thing where your cravings take over you finally allow yourself to have the chips and then you you, you're thinking to yourself while you're eating them like i'm not going to be allowed these tomorrow so i may Mm. as well finish the whole bag um and i think that's just a really important example of how much mindset can actually play into our behaviors as well the the food itself like is there from from your experience what you've seen and just sort of going through your your content it's a lot of like different types of meal preps and and different types of foods that people can consider Mm -hmm. can you maybe share a little bit about you know what would be a traditionally healthy type of meal like is it Mm -hmm. just the, the chicken breast and veggies can you incorporate, you know, rice and carbs and mm-hmm. stuff like that? Because obviously you've got a mix of like keto and paleo and all these things. And it's just sort of, I think there's so many things out there that people just don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everyone's ideal healthy plate is going to look a little bit different. But I think if we're starting from scratch and we're thinking about, I really like the, a plate method where instead of, and again, everyone is going to be different. Some people might want to track more meticulously and that's okay. But for me, someone who's been struggling with their relationship with food, I like starting with, okay, what can a typical plate look like for you that is going to give you the nutrients you need and help you stay in control and consistent? And so that's usually going to be like more or less a quarter or so of your plate carbohydrates, a quarter or so, including rice and starchy carbohydrates a quarter or so plate of your plate, protein foods, lean proteins, if you can, lots of fruit and veggies filling up the rest of it, and then a sprinkle of healthy fats. And the thing I also like to add into that is I think we really underestimate the role of satisfaction in our eating behaviors. I don't know if either of you can relate to this, but I I know I can. I used to end these really healthy meals with like tons of vegetables and protein And, like, I was already dreaming about chips. I wasn't hungry, (laughs) but, like, physically I was full, but that satisfaction piece wasn't there. And I think, again, that can get in the way of our consistency because you can stuff your face with broccoli, um, but that's not necessarily going to leave you mentally satisfied and be able to move on from the meal. So that's another piece that I like to remember when we're building plates too. I'd like you to expand on that because I I struggle with that. I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll have, you know, a healthy meal and then uh, I can't like I'm just like I need something (laughs) salty I need like something to snack on and the concept of snacking for me is big Mm -hmm. if if I'm snacking during the day I've not eaten well Mm. that's my 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 fail Mm -hmm. and I oh well tell me more about that what do you mean okay so I for a long time I was on the keto diet Mm -hmm. Um, I had hit at one point like 205 pounds Mm -hmm. and then I came across the keto diet for the first time and I was like, well, you know what? My entire life I've been going to the gym. I haven't seen the results Mm -hmm. I wanted. Maybe it really is the food. And Mm -hmm. I finally gave into that. Mm -hmm. And then after going on the keto diet for a good four to five months, like four to five months into the diet, I had dropped from like 205 to 160. Mm -hmm. So I went from one extreme to the other. Mm -hmm. And then I was just extremely lean, but it was almost like an unhealthy skinny. Mm -hmm. And then I realized the thing with that diet as good as it worked, it was not really sustainable Mm -hmm. because I was depriving myself of things I actually enjoyed, Mm -hmm. which are pizzas. I love Mm. pizza. Pizza. (laughs) And so (laughs) I I came to the conclusion that I can still do that, but in moderation to to Matthew's point is that I didn't have to go have pizza and and junk food every day of the week, but I also didn't have to not have it at all type of thing. But where I struggle still are on the snack sides. Mm -hmm. So I'll have, you know, like a bag of peanuts or I'll have like uh, carrots and and ranch sauce. But there's something to snack on because I always, I snack when I'm bored. Mm -hmm. And I don't quite know how to rein that in yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's you know, I would need to know a little more to really give <laughs> specific <Ask> advice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is when I was talking about that, like ending a meal, wanting more, you're relating to that. So mm-hmm. that is making me think, okay, something is missing at your meals. And 
that might be satisfaction. I think that's actually really common, especially when we have a history of like dieting. We try to be like a little too good where, you know, things are really healthy and maybe from even a macronutrient standpoint, things are okay, but maybe it's lacking flavor or like maybe you're choosing brown rice instead of white rice, which you actually prefer. Maybe you're like totally skimping on the sauce. I think that can totally influence those types of feelings. Um, But there's also other things we can look at at, on your plate and in your habits overall, which might be making you feel that way too. So for some of the people I work with, it might be that they're skipping carbs at a meal entirely. I don't know if you feel like that still lingers for you, but sometimes it can create those same types of feelings. Maybe the meal doesn't have enough fiber, enough protein enough of those filling nutrients um there's lots yeah there's lots like any thoughts coming up for you (laughs) yeah no well like the i think for me it was just the i completely removed carbs from my diet altogether and then i realized that i was always hungry and i was intentionally preventing myself from eating to maintain the keto diet essentially and then I started to up my protein intake but again I found that I just wasn't feeling full from from all of that because I was also doing a crap ton of cardio (laughs) on the side so it was just a lot (laughs) but now for example my diet like I've reintroduced carbs in moderation Mm -hmm. because I also know that I I just I need it I need the 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 element of it but I think it's I think my curiosity comes from the lens of how if someone were you know like they're they're about to start their journey and they wanted to lose weight let's say and there's no magic pill for any of that mm-hmm. and i think that that's something that we need to always be clear about is that you're not going to wake up tomorrow all of a sudden down 15 20 30 pounds mm-hmm. it, it's going to take and some if time. you are like it's not sustainable that's it, the thing yeah. you're going to end up going back and being even worse exactly i think, that, I think that's what they want when you share these this in one week or in this in one month and it's like like you gotta assume that it's gonna take you six months, yeah, at least. And just and like, I tell a buddy of mine, I'm like, yo, like at least go in there in the intention that you're not gonna have any results for six months and yeah. still be okay with that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then you're not, because they're not expecting that quick thing. Because it's when you do that, and then it's like now it's become like a habit, yeah. Right, like, yeah. I think that's a really good point. I like to say, like, do you want fast change or do you want permanent change? <laughs> because yeah. I do think, and again, everyone's gonna be different, but I do think for a lot of us, if it's fast, it is probably not going to last. Um, But to kind of address your question, if someone's looking to lose weight, I think something that we can reflect on is like, okay, most of us have something that was successful in terms of helping us get weight off, right? And we have to think about, okay, what was it about that diet that was good for us? And what was it about that diet that helped us lose weight? And how can we tweak that to be more sustainable? Which sounds like it's exactly what you did, which is wonderful. Um, to lose weight, the interesting thing about all these diets that are so popular right now, like keto and intermittent fasting, is the research shows very clearly that the it's not ketosis. Like it's not necessarily the act of fasting that's making you lose weight and and making these diets give you some success. Really, it's a way to control your calorie intake. And at the end of the day, if we want weight loss, we need to eat a little bit less than our body requires consistently over time. So these diets often, what they were good at is helping us control our calories (laughs) for, for the time being. But for a lot of us, what they aren't good at is doing it in a way that we can actually sustain And I think that's the kind of first thing we have to look at is like, okay, where have we been? Where did that get us? And what can we learn from that situation? And for so many of us, it's okay, that wasn't sustainable. So what will make it sustainable? Adding carbs, maybe adding a breakfast, (laughs) Um, maybe snacking, but maybe doing it more intentionally and more in a balanced way. Is there, do you have a preference towards or like from the research and in your experience, is there one type of diet that supersedes the others i know you said everyone's body's different but is there one that generally like is a good place to start for some people i find that for most people again there's going to be exceptions to this a simple modest calorie deficit with the foods that you like and enjoy included is going to be effective and sustainable i think these other diets Don't get me wrong, if someone feels really, really good on keto and they're making sure that they're still getting their fiber and they're still getting all those other nutrients, that's great. But I think for for me, from what I've seen, from what the research shows for weight loss, we just need a calorie deficit that we can sustain. I think some of these extremes just are not gonna, are just unfortunately not gonna be sustainable. 
Yeah, why do you, why is it that it's out there that you know initially people are like oh just cut carbs it's usually like the first like people think like, okay I'm lose weight first do. thought is yeah. cut carbs why is that why is that at the top and it's obviously must stem from somewhere right yeah well I think first of all when we think of I don't know if you can relate to this, but I certainly could. Um, I think when we think of carbs, we're thinking of foods that actually aren't really mostly carb foods, right? So if we think of carbs, for example, I think a lot of us think of chips. We think of fries. We think of pizza. Those foods have carbohydrates, um, but they actually have a lot of fat as well. And I think a lot of those foods that we think in our mind are carb foods that we have difficulty controlling ourselves around. We tend to overeat because they're hyper palatable. They're actually more so than just carbs. They're a really nice mix of carbs and fat and salt that is really, really delicious, but not super filling and so hard to put down. They also tend to be more calorie-dense foods. So once we overeat them a little bit, they might induce weight gain or make it more difficult to lose weight. So I find for a lot of people that's where some of the carb fear comes from is we're thinking of a lot of these like fun snack foods and we associate them as being carbs when in reality the carbs there probably aren't the problem and what makes them so delicious and Mm. and something that we want to go back to. Carbohydrates are wonderful. <laughs> They're our bodies, our, our body can really easily get obtain energy from them, which is awesome. But I always say carbohydrates are going to leave us feeling our best for the most part when we pair them with other micronutrients. If we have carbohydrates alone, like let's just say we like sit here and eat a slice or two of bread, we're going to get energy quickly to our bloodstream, but that energy is just as quickly going to fall. So I always like to say rather than demonizing carbs because they're great and they have an important role, let's just think of ways that we can pair them with other foods and other micronutrients so we can take that energy um, and we can sustain it so that we're hungry less often, snacking less often, feeling more satisfied and feeling more able to stick to whatever diet plan we're on. Can you elaborate on where carbs are good for you and where carbs are bad for you? Because my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, are that carbs ultimately turn into sugar, Mm -hmm. which is in and of itself the problem. Mm -hmm. But you're saying, you know, carbs are not the enemy. Now, mm-hmm. on if you're on the keto diet like <laughs> I was, carbs were like the absolute enemy. Yeah. So can you maybe debunk or, or just share, you know, where are they good and where are they bad? Yeah. So all carbohydrate foods in our body are going to break down into glucose. And that seems really scary for a lot of people. And I think there's a lot of misinformation about that. Glucose is a sugar, but it's a sugar that our cells and our brains really like to use as fuel. Actually, it's really efficient. It's really easy for us to utilize. So, you know, when we think of carbs, like when we think of healthy carbohydrates, we, we want to choose them with more fiber because that basically means they just break down slower in our bloodstream so that, as I said, rather than getting that like spike and quick fall in energy, we're going to get a more like stable rise that leaves us feeling good. Carbohydrates is just, they're just a type of macronutrient um, that our body uses for certain things, just like proteins, just as fat. So there's nothing inherently bad about them, which I know can be, it goes against like everything (laughs) that's talked about (laughs) nowadays. There's nothing inherently bad about them, right? But if we're eating those simple carbs often and we're eating them alone, they're just not very filling and satiating and they're just kind of easy to overeat. So it's not the fact that we have too much sugar necessarily floating around or that there's anything inherently wrong with the carbohydrates it's more that if we only eat those and we only focus on those it's just not really going to create an environment where we are going to be able to like stick to a calorie deficit and feel in control consistently does that answer your question yeah so would (laughs) so would removing carbs or lowering your carb intake be the easiest way to reducing the overall calorie intake I think for a lot of the people I work with, they probably just need to shift the proportions of what they're eating. So I don't think, again, it's not anything against carbs in particular, um, but one of the reasons let me kind of backtrack here. We really want to prioritize protein if we're working towards weight loss. And part of that is going to be, you know, if you're working out, you need the protein to be able to actually synthesize lean tissue and change your body composition. But the interesting thing about protein is that it's 
it's the most satiating macronutrient. And so when we eat a lot of it, alongside other things that give us satisfaction and energy and all that stuff, it's going to leave us feeling full for longer and it's going to make a calorie deficit a lot easier to stick to in the long term. And I find that a lot of the people who come to me, they're just used to eating more carbs, right? That's just, they haven't been prioritizing protein enough or prioritizing fruits and vegetables enough so that they have kind of a moderate calorie diet that's easy to sustain. And so I think for a lot of people, we don't necessarily need to work too much on eliminating carbs or reducing them, but rather we know carbs are important. We know they're very important for satisfaction and for energy, for working out and for life. So how can we take those and add these other health promoting and filling foods so that our overall diet is going to fit into whatever calorie range we're trying to achieve and it's going to feel really, really sustainable and good too. So as I said, often that's just like adjusting the proportions of your plate to prioritize protein a little bit more, to prioritize fruits and vegetables a little bit more. And when we do that, often the carbs just naturally are going to pull back a little bit. Mm -hmm. We can be intentional about that too. But I don't like people going into these types of things with the lens of like, okay, well, now I'm on a diet. I have to reduce my carbs because I think that mindset alone can hinder the sustainability of things because now you're looking at your diet as something that's kind of like, I don't know about you, but like if I'm thinking about, okay, well now I'm eliminating carbs and that's my focus, reducing them, that doesn't sound very enjoyable to me. That's kind of like a lifestyle that I'm already feeling like I'm going to dread. And I feel like that to me just isn't going to be as fun or Mm, sustainable sustainable, or or as enjoyable as being like, okay, carbs are what they are, but I'm going to focus on lots of protein and lots of fruits and vegetables and whatever carbs do they're going to do you know yeah. <laughs> and then the protein component the you talked about how obviously protein is important for muscle building can you maybe walk us through at a very basic level for people how that process all works yeah so proteins are all made up of amino acids. And so when we eat protein foods, they break down into our body into those amino acids. And those amino acids then travel throughout our body to do different things. And one of those things is to rebuild muscle that's being, you know, damaged in your resistance training so that you can actually build up muscle and build up lean mass. Um, And so that's basically it. You eat protein and it helps you kind of sustain the different proteins in your body too. And, and that's often because, and it seems like a lot of people don't actually know this, when you're working out, you're actually breaking the muscle down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's almost, I think I, the way I heard it was microfiber tears, mm-hmm. like small tears in the muscles. Mm-hmm. And then the protein is ultimately supposed to help repair that that muscle. Yeah, exactly. And And something else that's interesting about protein is that when we, you know, we're talking about this through the lens of weight loss a lot of the time, eating enough protein is also important to just not break down too much muscle as we're losing weight. Because when we're in a calorie deficit, there is no guarantee (laughs) that our body is going to choose to only break down fat tissues, right? It can take it from other places as well, especially if we're not being very active. And so part of healthy weight loss for a lot of people is ensuring that you're keeping up some type of exercise routine and then eating enough protein to, to minimize any potential muscle loss as well. I think it's a little inevitable to lose a little bit. Um, it's hard to focus on more than one goal at once, but we want to minimize that as much as possible. Is there a, a thing for, like, is there, how, how does it differ? Does nutrition, let me start here. Does nutrition and like the intake of protein versus carbs versus everything else, does that differ between men and women? Yeah, it, it, it does differ between men and women. It different it differs a lot between individuals in general because it it depends on what your current body composition looks like, what type of workout routine you're doing and how often you're doing that, your current weight and all that stuff. But yeah, it tends to to be a little bit higher in men just because you tend to hold a little bit more lead mass. Um, Sorry, what what holds higher in men? Oh, protein needs. Protein. Okay. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So men would typically need more protein because just general body mass is larger. Yeah. And, you know, I find for for better or for worse, you know, men tend to focus a bit more on the strength training side of things than some women might, or at least historically. And that is going to require a little bit more protein. 
And what would be the, if you are in that strength training phase, what's the right portion between carbs to protein? So as I said, it depends on the person, how we're going to look at this. With a lot of the clients I work with or the people in my community, they just have such a history of starting diets that don't serve them that we like to go about things in a bit more of a gentle way. And that plate method is usually where we'll start. So we're not necessarily counting things in grams, but rather we're looking at proportions. And those proportions that I talked about can work for the average person. Now, if you're someone who's working towards some strength goals too, you're probably going to want to prioritize protein more on your plate than just like that quarter of your plate. It might look more like a third or a little bit more. Um, But there's a lot of different ways that we can look at it. And it depends on the person and how they want to track that information. I think like a good range for an active person. And again, protein needs vary so much. So don't take whatever I say here. Always talk to your own dietitian. But for the average person who's working towards strength goals, probably somewhere between like 0.7 and 0.8 grams of protein per pound is going to be a great thing to work towards. But I want to give a big caveat there, which is we need to really think about where you're starting. (laughs) Because if you're starting at a place where you're just having protein at two of your meals and you're currently getting like a third of that, we don't want to jump there. Because again, sustainability is, to me, one of the things we're looking at that's the most important. I don't want you making any changes that you can't sustain. What can you tell us about intermittent fasting? (laughs) That it's overrated. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so intermittent fasting is overrated. Why? Um. That's interesting. There's, I'm really curious. There's nothing. Well, tell me what you've heard about intermittent fasting. <laughs> uh, one, you're reducing, like th- the way I've understood it is you're reducing one just naturally the amount that you're consuming. Mm-hmm. I know people who've done it wrong will typically cram what they would have eaten over the course of a day into that feasting window. Yeah. <laughs> so that defeats the purpose. Um, and then two, the fact that you are not eating... Uh, I, I think it's something about it tricks your metabolism into consu- like feeding on whatever fat is in your system mm-hmm. still. And so that actually helps you to get a little more lean mm-hmm. and you become less reliant on the amount of food you need because historically speaking, you don't actually need to consume the amount, the volume of food that we currently consume. We actually consume a lot more than what we actually really need. Do you mean in terms of calories or in terms of like frequency or both? Both. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I hear I I think what you're saying is what I hear a lot of the time as well. And in theory, some of those things like maybe have a little bit of truth to it. But again, at the end of the day, weight loss can only come like a lot of these diets like to tout that there's like this special thing going on that, you know, because you're eating in a smaller window, even if you go over your calories a little bit, you're still going to lose weight. That's not really what the research shows us. And that's why I say it's overrated. And maybe a better word is just like overstated, like the claims are a little bit exaggerated. Um, You're right. Intermittent fasting, I think for a lot of people is going to be a relatively simple way to cut back on overall calorie intake and induce some weight loss. And if that feels good to someone, I actually don't have a problem with it. I think the problem that I have with intermittent fasting is that the risks of it tend to be understated. And as you said, some people tend to take it a little bit too far where it's going to either negatively impact their body or their relationship with food. So I do see a lot of people who try to do the skipping breakfast thing and maybe not start eating until the afternoon. But then all afternoon, they're so hungry and they're just like snacking nonstop and it's impacting their digestion. It might lead them to eat more than they would have if they just had a balanced breakfast. Or maybe, as you said, they're trying to cram a whole day's worth of calories into one meal and that's not necessarily optimal for metabolism and for digestion either. So we need to be careful. Right. <laughs> that's that's like if you're doing it incorrectly. I feel like with any of these diets, well, even like you start keto, a lot of problem is that you do it incorrectly. Right. Because right? people, they read maybe like the first paragraph of one article and it's like, all right, I got this. I got yeah. it. Yeah. In a minute, passing <laughs> the first paragraph, it's like, all right, cool, I can do this. Yes. Like, even like becoming like a vegetarian or like changing, like you just, you don't really take the time to look into it. But like if you're still eating properly and you're mm-hmm. in like the right caloric deficit why would 
intermittent fasting still be overrated in that sense? It wouldn't. If, okay. it, if you feel good on it and you are doing things well and you're still trying to intersperse your calories throughout your eating window and you're eating a good balance at those meals and you're feeling good, I think that's great. I think where I'm, the lens that I'm coming from is more, um, sometimes I see these diets and diet patterns, they actually are hurting people and they're kind of like ignoring those warning signs, like that like urgent eating that might happen for someone in intermittent fasting or like the nonstop thoughts about food that might happen for someone who's doing the keto diet. You know, I don't want someone to think that there's, you know, anything particularly magical about any of these diets, because at the end of the day, you just have to pick the one that's going to support your health goals, whatever those are, and that genuinely feels good to you. And that's honestly well, going can, to look yeah, different you to can everybody. Do, that's going to be yeah. sustainable mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. And honestly, I know people who do intermittent fasting and they feel amazing I love, I love, on it. I, love it I do it too. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I, yeah. And actually, this is totally anecdotal. I actually don't know what the research says, but I find a lot of men that I talk to seem to do a little bit better with it than women. I think, again, anecdotally, I find a lot of women tend to um, be a bit more sensitive to the skipping breakfast and it cre- can create more urgency and cravings throughout the rest of the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you like it, I think that might have to do with like hormones. I'm not too sure, but like I like I know like same thing. I know a few like women who've done it, and they don't seem to really even though they've done it well. They don't seem to like doesn't really work with mm. them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are the risks of intermittent fasting? You mentioned that earlier. You said that there are some risks that are associated with it that get understated a little bit. I think one of the risks that I, I see kind of emerging in the research is that there there's potential for some muscle loss with it. And I actually don't know the mechanism by which that's happening. I haven't dug into that um, in, in enough detail, so I don't want to misspeak on that. But that's something for sure. And then again, as I said, we I think it's really important to consider like the impact it has on your eating behaviors, relationship with food and digestion. But again, if all those things are intact and that's an eating plan that feels great to you, that's great. Because I I do think for a lot of people, like just shortening the window of eating, it's kind of a relatively easy way to to pull back the calories a little bit without having to be meticulous and like weighing your food and all that. And and in those cases, that's that's wonderful. I have no problem with it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious about... I mean, you know, everyone hears about it, but I'm curious about the role of alcohol, juice, basically beverages, and the role that that plays in your diet and your nutrition and your intake. Can you maybe share a little bit about your perspective on the... Alcohol is another, it's kind of a different story. Like, if we're drinking alcohol, some of those drinks can have sugar too, and obviously alcohol does have calories as well, which can certainly stand in the way of of weight loss if we're trying to be in a calorie deficit. But alcohol is interesting to me because we just know it's not great for health overall. And sometimes I feel like that, how do I say this? <laughs> I drink alcohol, so I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental here. But sometimes I feel like we demonize all these other things. Like we demonize like a bowl of chips and we demonize all this stuff. But a lot of us like still think we don't hold alcohol to the same standards, which I just find interesting. But to answer your question more directly, alcohol, I think another thing, another way it can impact our our eating and our health overall is that it can impact our eating behaviors, like when we're drinking and Mm. afterward too, right? Like, I don't know about you, but like if I'm going out for a couple drinks, like I'm going to want a poutine later. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm going to want something greasy in the morning. And so if we're drinking frequently, that's something else to consider is like, okay, yes, the alcohol has calories. The alcohol might have sugar too, but like what else is it influencing? And just having that awareness and being honest with ourselves about that, I think oftentimes is enough. (laughs) So uh, moderation, ultimately, like like you said it, I, I, I go out for drinks sometimes it is about moderation because I think mm-hmm. it's like that post once you're eating that once you're drinking you now want a snack on something mm-hmm. like you can't resist it yeah and it's often not on like carrot sticks no. you know it's <laughs> no, not it's what not. I crave <laughs> so yeah yeah for sure and to go back you feel very strongly about sugary drinks or sugary foods <laughs> talk to us a little about that because you know every, obviously a lot of people have sweet tooth yeah sweet teeth. and me too I mean, no judgment. Yeah. Well, I, uh, fortunately, I've never really had a sweet tooth, yeah. so I've been lucky I'm enough. Like, but I'm, I'm 
I like salty. Like chips. Salt, yeah. yeah. Chips all yeah. day, all day. But like the <laughs> sweet component is such a hard thing, especially yeah. around the holidays, especially when you're feeling like crap, especially when, you know, if you've gone through a breakup or, you know, jobs pissing you off, whatever the case is, it just seems like we turn to sugar in some capacity. Mm-hmm. If you want to go out on a date, you're not going to go out and not have like a piece of cake or something yeah. afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah. What is it about sugar? Like, what does sugar firstly do to your body? Let's start there. Well, I think with a lot of these sugary foods, it's kind of what we talked about before. Like they're going to deliver sugar to your body, which our body can utilize that sugar. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But when we're having sugar sweetened beverages and we're having foods that are mostly just sugar and fat all that's really happening is we are getting that sugar we're going to utilize some of it but again there's no satiation there so it's easy to overeat and we're going to more likely than not we end up consuming more calories from this sugary food than we might want to and that's where the problem tends to lie they're just very easy to to over consume <laughs> okay and what happens to someone's body when they've been consuming sugar for a prolonged period of time via you know cakes and cookies and desserts and stuff like that like what happens to the body i think the the main thing again i I want to be careful because yes, like over consuming sugar as a, like, let's say all of your calories, let's say you needed 2,500 calories in a day to maintain your weight. You could, in theory, eat that in just like Snickers bars and you would still maintain your weight. So I want to be careful not to demonize sugar in and of itself because I find that's rampant nowadays is there's a lot of like looking at particular nutrients and saying like, well, that is just straight up bad. And the lens through which I view things and from what I understand of the research, it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with it. It's just that those types of foods tend to be overconsumed, and when we overconsume anything, like honestly anything, we're going to store that as fat, and that might have some health implications for us in the long term. Is there anything about nutrition that's surprising to hear? Like something that you wouldn't, you'd be like, "Oh, I didn't, I, I would never have put that together." Mm. You know, this this probably isn't the answer you're looking for, but something that really amazes me is just how nuanced things are. I didn't really understand that until really late in my studies and looking at the research now. And I think like that's why I get so passionate about talking about this stuff, because on social media, it is presented as black and white, right? Like, oh, eating breakfast is bad. Sugar in any capacity is bad. Like all these different things but when you actually look at the research that's not really what's said for so many of these things it's really nuanced some stuff doesn't even have long-term research for us to fully understand the implications of things so that's kind of what surprises me most is how simple and demonized some of these things can seem at the surface but when you actually dig into things it's just a lot more complicated Hmm. okay so i'm going to run a thought experiment with you okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm 510 about 182 pounds i work out four five times a week Mm -hmm. a mix between cardio and 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 lifting Mm -hmm. based on those metrics and and let me know if there's other metrics that you need (laughs) (laughs) what would be the ideal like what would a, a a plate of like for lunch what would that look like for me it i would need to sit down I would need to sit down Do we need with to pull a calorie. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we have like some formulas that can help us determine kind of your total daily energy expenditure. That's probably where I'd want to start. I'd want to see how many calories, give or take, that we'd want you consuming for the day to currently maintain your weight. And then um, I'd want to talk about your goals as well and probably dig more into the type of activity you're doing. Um, I feel like I would I wouldn't feel confident answering that so quickly. <laughs> okay. What so what what would somebody expect or like when they go to a nutritionist, a diet a dietitian, what's the purpose of going to one and what are they like what can you expect from that process? I think it's going to totally depend on the nutritionist or dietitian. Everyone does things a little bit differently, but I think there's a couple purposes to it. One, getting clarity on 
exactly kind of what you asked, like how much should I be eating to support my goals? How much of these different nutrients should I be eating? I think it's really helpful to have a professional run the numbers, but even more so than that, having someone work through with you a bit of a feedback process because often like we can kind of like assign you a plate model or eat a diet or a calorie count or whatever that is, but we want to see if you can stick to that and if you see and if you can stick to that what happens over the course of several weeks and then use that information to kind of like adjust the plan and see where you should go from there so i think one getting clarity on what you should be what you can be eating to feel your best and what that can look like getting feedback but i think for a lot of people it's also the accountability piece as well i always like think i think a lot of us know what it is that we should should be eating to to feel a little bit better i think sometimes we place too much of an emphasis on the knowledge piece of things like oh well what should i eat instead of this food or what should my plate look like but often it's it's more just what can i do to make these changes i know i need to make and sustain them in the long term as i keep talking about and i think having a dietitian or a nutritionist of some kind can just kind of keep you accountable to those things sometimes and help you work through the challenges that are just bound to arise because we're all human and real life is hard. <laughs> so if someone's real life is hard, okay. <laughs> would, what's the, why would one go to a dietitian versus going to a nutritionist? So a registered dietitian, at least in, in Canada and the United States, it's a credentialed health professional. So you have to go through a really specific educational process and training process to get that credential. So any so basically when someone is called a registered dietitian, you can feel confident that they've done their undergrad in nutrition and dietetics, and then they've either done a master's with a, a year-long internship requirement or just the internship requirement. Nutritionist in most places is in... Um, a regulated term. So every dietitian can call themselves a nutritionist as well. There's no problem with that, but um, you could call yourself a nutritionist too. And like my dad can and whatever. And that's not to say nutritionists are bad. They absolutely are not. It's just you, you'd want to just look into their training <laughs> mm-hmm. because it doesn't necessarily give you confidence in their qualifications just because they have that title. Right. You know? What's as a content creator mm-hmm. in this space talking about all these subjects? I, I I assume you get a lot of commentary from people in your community, either asking you questions mm-hmm. or debating about one thing versus the other. Is there a common theme that you're seeing in terms of questions? Like, what's the one thing or a few things that people seem to want to know about the most? probably exactly what we talked about today. I get a lot of questions around intermittent fasting, a lot around keto, um, carbs in general, um, and and certain supplements too. Like I get tons of questions about greens powders, interestingly. Can, can, we, <laughs> yeah, can we briefly talk about supplements and the role that that plays? I, I've never personally taken a supplement. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've gone to the gym my entire life. I Like I said, I've done keto. Protein I've been off keto. Nothing? Is protein powder considered a supplement? I, yeah, I guess okay. technically. It, I was in my thinking like, I, you know, I, like pills yeah, of right. some kind afterwards, yeah. or like. So can you can you maybe talk a little bit about supplements and and shed some light on what they are and what they do and how they support your health journey? Yeah, I think. If we're going to talk about supplements, one of the main things I want to make sure I'm saying is a lot of people aren't going to need one. And a lot of supplement companies have really great marketing and can make these sound really, really enticing. And so it's something we definitely want to be careful of. But that said, there certainly is a, can be a place for supplements for certain people, but it depends on you and what your nutritional status currently looks like, what your goals are, and honestly, your budget, right? Like greens powders to me are an interesting example because they're they're probably not harmful. Um, and if someone has lots of money to spend and they've, they're eating their fruits and vegetables and they want to do that, then like power, power to you. I have no problem with that. Um, but uh, I kind of forget where I'm going with this. Remind me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like I'm trying to just better understand you know, where supplements play a role. Like, I didn't realize that, you know, a protein powder, because I, I take yeah. protein powder, yeah. I didn't realize that that would be considered a supplement. But is there other forms of supplements, like maybe break down what that is, how that supports your, your nutrition? Yeah, so 
Um, supplements can come in all sorts of forms, and it's basically any like non-food thing that we're consuming to supplement the diet. And I think that word gives us a good clue as the role that they should play. To me, it should be to supplement, and it should be as needed because they are expensive, and you can overdo it on certain supplements as well, and that can have some potential risks. Um, but supplements come in a lot of different forms. There's protein powder, as we talked about, which is one I actually take as well, and that can just simply be to supplement the amount of protein in your diet and make it easier to eat. And then we have, you know, more like vitamins and minerals that we might be lacking. And and, and there are some cases if we're deficient in those or we're at risk for deficiencies where we may want to take one. So vitamin D might be a good example for us Canadians. You know, it's hard for us to, yeah, to get like one day a year. Yeah. yeah. But then there's kind of like this whole other world of like I don't even know what to call them, but supplements, these are the ones with like the really good marketing teams, like certain like apple cider vinegar gummies or like greens powders or those where like the claim is like they're going to help you lose weight, they're going to transform your gut health, they're going to do, they're going to fix your entire life. And um, unfortunately, that's not really what the research says. Supplements are interesting. I'm not super. Um, familiar with the regulatory process, but I'm not super confident in the regulatory process mm. either. So, how come? Um, part of that is me not fully understanding the process and also knowing that I can see these things on the shelves and I can see what they're claiming and I can see the research that doesn't support that. And mm. sometimes it. Sometimes I wonder how, the, how yeah. that's allowed. Well, to the average person, you go in and yeah. it's just whatever has the nicest looking bottle and makes yeah. the largest claims and you go, oh, well, that looks like it's going to be good for me. And yeah, yeah. Supplements, um, I can get heated about them because they're, they can be really expensive and they often heavily rely on influencer marketing and that makes people want them a lot. Um but a lot of these ones that do get promoted so often are just like totally unnecessary. <laughs> and and they can be harmful. They from, can from the sounds of it. They they can potentially be harmful. Um, as I said, like there are, are certain you know, we don't pee out excess of absolutely every single nutrient that we're consuming. So we can get too much of certain things, but also um, in certain countries, if if we're not super confident about regulation, there might be like a contamination issue or this mm. or that. So with supplements, I, I say always start with your doctor or your dietitian. Make sure it's something that actually would, would suit you before spending your money and, and taking on any risks there. Awesome. So we're almost at an hour. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> it flies. It flies. Yeah. Um, what do you got coming up? What are you working on? Where can um, people find you? Well, people can find me on Instagram and TikTok. My handle is real.life.nutritionist. Um, and then I have a website, reallifenutritionist.com. Um, that's where you can find me. I'm wor- I'm really digging into pumping out content this year. So lots on those platforms, lots of free educational content there. And then I have a blog where we put out longer form stuff too, a bit more educational, lots of freebies that you can download there too. And yeah, that's my focus right now. Amazing. Miranda, thanks for coming by. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This, this was so helpful. Fun. This was educational. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> and we got to do this again. Yeah. You'll yeah. become our resident uh, oh. nutrition expert. Yes, I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have any questions, please let us know, and we will pass them along. Give Miranda a follow. She's got amazing content. And uh, give us a follow, too, while you're at it, because we'd appreciate it. But yeah. other than that, thank you very much for listening. Thank Poncho, you. Thank you. appreciate you. <laughs> thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank you.